Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, last year's GameStop stock squeeze made a lot of headlines, but turned out to be a far cry from the revolt by the little guy it was supposed to be. So who really got taken, and who really got rich in the revolution that wasn't? Also this morning, in recognition of Safer Internet Day this week, how parents can make cyberspace a little more kid-friendly for children and teens who spend so much of their time online. And anyone looking for a job has plenty of options these days, which is why employers, large and small, are getting creative in order to attract candidates for the positions they need to fill. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Today is Chocolate Day. Well, there's a reason to celebrate for sure. Chocolate Day today. It is National Cut the Cord Day. National Toothache Day, which I guess if you have too much chocolate, (laughs) then you may give yourself a, a toothache. So it is both of those things. Pizza Pie Day. And it is read in the bathtub day. Read in the bathtub today. So, and if you've cut the cord, what else is there to do? You can read in the bathtub. Uh, So the Olympics are going on. Have you been watching any of the Olympics? Uh, Chances are good. The answer is no. Americans don't seem to be as interested in the Beijing Olympics, at least not yet. The ratings through the first four nights of the competition, last Thursday through Sunday, uh, are on track to have the lowest ratings ever for a Winter Olympic Games. Now, again, this is very early, just the first four days, the first weekend of competition. Friday night's coverage on NBC USA and Peacock, the streaming service, which included the opening ceremony. Averaged 12.8 million viewers, which is less than half of the 27.8 million average for the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics in 2018. Uh, There has been a steady increase in viewership since then. Saturday and Sunday were a little bit better, but the ratings were still down by more than half compared to 2018. Uh AP cites factors that uh, include strained relations between the U.S. and China because of human rights and economic issues, a lack of buzz coming into the games, and the fact that it is a second Olympics held during the pandemic. With no crowds and all of that, it does... I mean, I'm ready to... We've got everything else back to normal sports-wise, pretty much. I'm ready to get the crowds back to the games and you know all of that. It's just not the same cutting to... Shots of the athletes' families cheering them on from home. It's just not the same. It is also the first time since 1992 that two Olympics are being held just six months apart after last summer's Tokyo Summer Games, which were postponed because of the pandemic. So that may have something to do with it as well. We're a little uh, Olympic fatigued, maybe. The U.S. performance could also potentially be a factor. The U.S. has finally won a gold medal. Um, but, uh, there have been some high profile, uh, failures. I hate to use that word failures because, you know, like Michaela Schifrin, who crashed out of her first race and then last night crashed out of her second, um, in, in just like 
five or six seconds out of the gate in the uh, slalom event, she was out. And um, anyway, people are talking about that, but that may be a factor. I think we've got now the one gold because we got a gold last night. But uh, prior to that, uh, we hadn't been doing so well in terms of, you know, bringing home the hardware. Uh, NBC's primetime Olympics coverage, though, does remain the most watched event on network TV and uh, their Olympic coverage handily won all four nights of the uh, viewing race among the big four networks. So there is that. Uh, so the Olympics are going on. The other big thing, of course, this is Super Bowl week. The big game is just a few days away. And the American Gaming Association says 31 and a half million Americans will place bets on this year's Super Bowl. They forecast that over $7.6 billion in all will be wagered on the game. Those making bets include people making casual wagers with friends or relatives, people playing in office pools, and then the big, uh, the, 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 the big, I guess, organized gambling. That's the word that I'm looking for. The organized gambling structure wagers with licensed sports books. They also count bets played with uh, placed with illegal bookmakers. In all of this, so they total it all up. They say more than seven and a half billion dollars be waged, wagered on the game. Uh, President and CEO of the American Gaming Association, Bill Miller, says Americans have never been more interested in legal sports wagering. The growth of legal options across the country not only protects fans and the integrity of games and bets, also puts illegal operators on notice that their time is limited. So obviously spinning this uh, toward the uh, licensed sports books. Which you would expect from a, the American Gaming Association is their lobbying group or their uh, advocacy group. Uh, since last year's Super Bowl, 45 million additional people will be able to bet because their states have legalized sports betting since then. And that would be Arizona, Connecticut, Louisiana, Maryland, North Carolina, North Dakota, South Dakota, Washington, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. And, uh, uh, of course, Michigan uh, at getting into the illegal sports wagering Arena, Ohio, is going to be uh, following very soon, but really fascinating. So $7.5 billion, $7.6 billion being wagered on the uh, big game this weekend. Um, so what else uh, is uh, going on? Oh, uh, Valentine's Day, of course, is this weekend as well. You know, you haven't forgotten about that, right? I know the Olympics is going on. No, the Super Bowl is coming, but let's not forget. It's Valentine's weekend. And uh, the Rockmart Police Department in Georgia is offering some closure for the heartbroken this Valentine's Day. This is kind of clever. They're giving you a chance to lock up your ex. <laughs> you know how uh, zoos across the country have... Uh, uh, done that name a name a roach after your ex or some sort of undesirable animal uh, after your ex. Well, in the uh, in Rockmart, Georgia, the police department took to Facebook with a most romantic and tempting offer. They said, "Do you have an ex Valentine that has an outstanding warrant? <laughs> if you have information that they are driving with drugs in their car or some other." 
nefarious activity. Give us a call with their location and we'll take care of the rest. <laughs> the, uh, the cops even thought of everything to make this Valentine's Day memorable. They went on to say this Valentine's Day month-long special starts off with a set of limited edition platinum bracelets, free transportation with chauffeur, a one-night minimum stay in a luxurious in luxurious accommodations, and professional glamour shots that will be, will be posted online for all to enjoy. <laughs> of course, they're talking about going, putting them in, in handcuffs, hauling them off to the pokey, um, and posting their mug shots on their uh, website. But I like the way they, they turn. It's all in the spin. It's all in how you, <laughs> in how you spin it. <laughs> They say it's all capped off with a special Valentine's Day dinner. So they say they will they will feed them. <laughs> They're not in night in jail. Um, the department also adds, we know this is special, or we know this special is so incredible that you may be tempted to provide additional referrals, and we don't blame you because this is too sweet to pass up. Operators are standing by. So <laughs> clever way of trying to get people to turn in their X. And I'm sure there'll be people who do it. I'm sure there will be. A couple of other uh, interesting stories among the first things that you need to know this morning. The most buzzworthy news of the day. Um, got pandemic news, because you have to have pandemic news these days, every day. Uh, obviously, it's uh, really messed up jobs for Americans. And although January's jobs report brought, brought some hopeful news about employers adding over 400,000 new jobs last month, you break it down, it seems the news is better for men than it is for women. A report that came out last week from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that more than 1 million men, ages 20 and up, either had a job or were actively looking for a job in January, while just 39,000 women in the same age group did the same. So a little fewer women. The National Women's Law Center published a report on the data and notes that it is likely due to the uneven caregiving responsibilities that men and women have taken on in the wake of the Omicron variant and the pandemic in general. The lack of child care workers, lack of child care workers is not helping helping things either. In a December article, Politico also noted that women tend to be in jobs that are much more prone to pandemic COVID restrictions, such as teaching and healthcare, which has led them to having a harder time getting back into the nine-to-five swing of things. So anyway, I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting gender differences in the uh, in the uh, jobs numbers. You know, break it all down. So worth noting, I think. And uh, speaking of the pandemic, how about this story? A pub reported to be the oldest in Britain is closing due to financial difficulties brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, to be fair, the old Fighting Cocks pub in St. Albans, England, was having financial problems. They were struggling to begin with, and then the pandemic just, uh, just sealed the deal. The pub's website says the business began in the year 793. This is 2022. 793. The pub has... Been so much more than just a business to me, Christo Tafali, the pub manager, wrote in a Facebook post. It's been more than just a business to me, and I feel honored to have played even a small part in it in its history. The brewery that owns the building says the pub could potentially reopen in the future, but right now they have no plans. 
The old Fighting Cocks pub in St. Albans, England, closing after 1,229 years. Wow. 1,229 years. Well, they say nothing is permanent. But my goodness. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy today with a high of 37. A slight chance of a little rain or snow tonight, a low of 30. Peloton's plans to build their first U.S. factory in Wood County have been scrapped as the company continues to lose revenue and fitness subscribers. Peloton announcing last May it would be building a $400 million facility on more than 200 acres in Wood County. Construction started last summer. Now the company says once the external structure is finished, it'll be sold. Peloton also announcing that its CEO will be stepping down as part of the restructuring of the business, and they also plan to eliminate 2,800 jobs. Governor DeWine has temporarily renamed three state parks in honor of the Super Bowl-bound Cincinnati Bengals. DeWine renamed Burr Oak State Park in southeastern Ohio, Burrow Oak State Park, in honor of Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow, who grew up in nearby Athens. Paint Creek State Park in southwestern Ohio is temporarily known as Evan McPherson Extra Point Creek State Park in honor of the kicker whose field goals have helped the Bengals advance in the playoffs. And Houston Woods State Park near Dayton is now Icky Woods State Park in honor of long-retired legendary Bengals running back Icky Woods. Dave James, I'll win in news. The Supreme Court of Ohio has rejected a second set of Ohio House and Senate district maps that retain strong Republican majorities, saying those maps are gerrymandered. Richard Gunther, professor of political science at Ohio State, says other states have a different way of working through this procedure. In many other states, the Supreme Court would have the ability to appoint a special master, as it's called, who would draw the maps. That's going on right now in a couple of states. And the Ohio Supreme Court has given the Ohio Redistricting Commission 10 days to pass constitutional maps. Three Finley churches are seeing who can collect the most food for the city mission and what they're calling the first annual Super Bowl of churches. Let's see who can raise the most pounds of food for city mission by Super Bowl Sunday. I like it. I like it. You're on. The three churches involved in the friendly competition are St. Mark, St. Andrews, and St. Paul's. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, everyone is familiar with the GameStop stock squeeze that rattled financial markets and generated a lot of media attention last year. It was billed as a way for everyday investors to stick it to the big guys, bringing those rich hedge fund managers to their knees while the stocks that they bet on failing went through the roof instead. But when the dust settled... It was the revolution that wasn't. That's the title of a new book examining the phenomenon and what really happened. Wall Street Journal columnist Spencer Jacob is the author and joins us this morning. So, Spencer, it's easy to see the appeal of this market revolt, if you will. The uprising of the little guy is always a popular narrative. It is. That's uh, you, you always uh, root for David against Goliath. You love to see a David and Goliath story. And 
writing a, a book with the title The Revolution That Wasn't, I mean, it almost sounds like, hey, nothing to see here, folks. And there, there is a lot to see. I mean, it's a, it is a crazy story. If I had, had written a, a fiction book uh, with these characters, that yeah. my editor would tell me to tone it down. They're, <laughs> they're just like made for Hollywood. It, it is a wild, wacky story, and some people did get rich, and some people lost staggering amounts of money. And so, you know, it, 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 hap- it happened, but not exactly the way that uh, the headlines made it sound at the time. Exactly, because in many cases, it was, in fact, those small investors that got fleeced. Totally. I mean, this, this is the, the overarching issue with Wall Street, is that when small investors get very excited, whether it's dot-com stocks or it's this or, uh, or whatever, and are very active in the market, those are great times for Wall Street because most of Wall Street is, is just middlemen uh, who like it when you show up with your money and, uh, and you think you're clever. They're not really taking a risk at all or not much of a risk. You have hedge funds who you know, usually do pretty well. In this case, a couple of them really, really did not do well. They're one of the best paid men on, uh, in, the, in America, basically, um, lost for his investors almost $7 billion in a few days on this. And lots of other people lost money too. So it's not like there, there weren't victims on Wall Street and mm-hmm. it's certainly not like there weren't winners on social media, but it, it's a little bit more complicated and a little bit of a darker story. So who were the real winners out of all of this? The real winners were the people who uh, take your trades, the people who process your trades, uh, the um, app-based broker Robinhood, for example, where they make almost all their money through selling people's trades, Mm -hmm. stock and option trades, to market makers. All they care about is how much you trade uh, and how active you are. They don't care if the trade is successful. That's not how they get paid. They're not, you know, people who get paid on the front end uh, are, are happy when you're active. People who get paid on the back end are happy when you do well, and they were very much front-end people. And then there are people who they sold their trades to, companies like Citadel Securities and Virtu Financial and Susquehanna that, that process all these trades in their computers and take little fractions of a cent of each trade and, and then pay the broker for the privilege. They had a great time. Um, and, and, just, and even people who do take risks on Wall Street, uh, most of them did fine. Most of them either you know, jumped on the bandwagon some funds made, there's one fund that made a billion dollars. Just they said, hey, we made a billion dollars and we were just in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And it's crazy. And they, they just, you know, because they just were, they just were there. And executives cashed out too with, with crazy packages. Now, and, and by the way, those hedge fund managers that were betting on the stock to fail all along, did they actually lose anything? Because despite the run up for a time, the, the stock, ultimately is going in the direction that everybody expected it to and it didn't really change the fortunes of the company as a whole well a lot of them did lose money and this is the thing that like people say like oh they're betting on this they want this company to fail they're trying to make it fail and that's not really how it works they're betting that the share price is going to go down if it fails that's great but you can't they can't make it fail they're just making a bet Mm -hmm. and because this went up so much if you are a short seller that's the thing. That's what the people on this me- these message boards grasped is that your losses are infinite. So they had to you know, get out with their tails between their legs. They really did lose money. They, mm-hmm. The fact that it went down later was no consolation to them because they were long gone by the time the thing began to fall. As a matter of fact, new hedge funds kind of got into it and thought they could make money and also got blown up. And Elon Musk comes into the story at that point, and he, you know, he, he cost a lot of, of hedge funds a lot of money 
by kind of one-upping what was already going on. So, yeah. No, they, they, they lost money, you know, but, but most people made money. So I, I wonder, yeah, so I, so I wonder as it turns out in the end, was this just a good old fashioned market manipulation? Like we've seen many times before, maybe using a different forum, taking a slightly different form, but still a classic pump and dump scheme. No, so, I mean, to be clear, it, it, it wasn't. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, one of the people I spoke with, lots of people for the story, and one of the most interesting people I spoke with was Jordan Belfort, better known as the Wolf of Wall Street, because I wanted to get his insights into it. Mm-hmm. And he put it perfectly. He said, this was a pump without a dump, because hmm. they, were, they were supposed to hang on. So uh, the, the people who still really believe in this, uh, many of them still own the stock. You know, they... They weren't manipulating anybody. They were manipulated, maybe, but they weren't manipulating anybody. And so, there wasn't. That's that's the thing that uh, that's odd about this is there. There maybe there was some illegality in terms of people using bots to go onto message boards and things like that, but not really. Nobody really hmm. broke the law uh, in this whole story. It, just, it was just a, an epic, crazy fight, uh, and a lot of people just you know sort of wish they hadn't been in it. Well, and that and that actually kind of uh, leads to the question that a lot of people were answering and are asking in the aftermath is uh, if none of this was technically illegal, should it be? And it, it leads to the question that uh, and and the book examines this in in uh, greater detail. The benefit of hindsight: where does the blame lie? Many people have pointed to online brokerages that make it far too easy for people to get into areas of investing that they are just not knowledgeable enough uh, about or uh, and, and are unprepared for. You know, it's very hard. To, you, you criticize one of these brokerages, and was one in particular that was at the center of all this. And they say you're just trying to hold people back. We're democratizing finance. You're not democratizing finance. You're you're you know you're making a lot of money. That's what you're doing. Um, finance is already democratized. I mean, you can you can with for very little money get exposure to the stock market. Far too few people do. Uh, there's a real retirement crisis in this country, and young people are not very good at at saving for the future because it's just in their minds it's so far away. So it's a good thing that young people are are opening accounts. And, and maybe some of them learn their lesson and they'll sort of get on a, a more sustainable path towards, uh, towards building a nest egg. Uh, but they're, they're sort of the ones to blame. And, and then they didn't break the law. The law allows them to do this. It allows them to build a beautiful, addictive, alluring app. Uh, but I wish that there were more guardrails. And the rules that might uh, come as a result of this are, are more likely to be sort of general spotting the last war, or, uh, or, you know, or trying to control the people who are unpopular in the story, because despite the fact that they lost so much money, short sellers were the ones who are unpopular. And try, try it now. Go on Google and say short sellers are and see what comes up. Yeah. I think the first thing that comes up is scum or vultures. <laughs> uh, you know, and they're just guys trying to make money like anybody else on Wall Street. But they're, they're the ones who are likely to sort of to face tighter rules, which is kind of actually counterproductive as i explained in the book yeah um and and i i guess circling back to what the initial appeal of all of this was you know sticking it to the big guy and it, kind of what you were talking about the way people feel about hedge fund managers um is there really a way for ordinary investors to to beat the pros or should ordinary investors not even try yeah here's the thing the, the same technologies that made all this possible allow you to do this. That is the, the ironic thing, is that you can really stick it to the man because 
if you look at the long-term performance of professional money managers, hedge funds, mutual funds, whatever, 80 to 90% of them in the long run fail to beat the market, which is crazy, right? They're hmm. the professionals and they fail to beat the market. Yeah. Uh, now, you can, be, you, you can maybe not beat the market, but you can be the market uh, for very little cost today. Basically, you just buy a bunch of index funds that you feel safe with, that you're safe holding, that are appropriate for your risk. You pay a teeny tiny amount to, to hold them these days. It used to be really expensive. And you just sit tight and you don't panic when uh, you, know, you see the Dow down 1,000 points and, and don't jump on the, the next dumb technology you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of sit tight and be disciplined. And you, you're going to beat those guys. You can beat Wall Street. <laughs> and you're going to cost Wall Street money too. They don't like it when you do that because <laughs> they hardly make any money off of you. So, so if you want to stick it to the man and you want to beat the man, that's it's a little boring. It's not as exciting <laughs> as blowing say, up a, yeah. a hedge fund, but... I, there you go. I mean, I've, I've just told you the secret. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds very familiar with the, the advice we've long heard. It's not as sexy, but it's smarter. Uh, again, uh, Spencer Jacob is uh, author of the uh, new book, The Revolution That Wasn't, a fascinating examination of that GameStop stock squeeze that captured everybody's attention a year ago. Spencer, do you have a, a website in conjunction with the book that we can guide folks to? I do. Uh, my last name is spelled a little bit unusually. It's J-A-K-A-B, so it's uh, SpencerJacob.com, and uh, I can be followed on uh, social media. Uh, on Probably not a member of Wall Street Bets, though, I would guess. Oh, I, I joined under my own name, yes. Uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> just I'm a, one of those 11 million people. Just I, I'm just an observer. I'm not a... <laughs> just to I can't, keep, I can't just to keep an eye. part of my job, but I'm, I'm, I'm there, yeah. <laughs> Wall Street Journal columnist Spencer Jacob with us this morning. Spencer, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. You know how it is in the uh, real estate market, for example. You, if you drive around your neighborhood and you see all kinds of houses for sale, they say it's a, it's a uh, buyer's market. The, the buyer has kind of the upper hand. Well, right now uh, in the employment market, it's kind of the same thing as a job hunter's market. There's Everybody seems to be hiring. If you are looking for a job, there is no better time than right now. And as a result... Number of employers are trying new uh, things, new ideas to attract workers uh, to the jobs that they have in uh, available. And ahead of the busy spring season in the home improvement industry, one of uh, Forbes' best employers is hiring thousands of associates. And uh, Eric Schelling is the vice president of global talent acquisition for the Home Depot. Uh, Eric, first of all. You've got, again, you talk about rolling out new and innovative ways of attracting people to your positions. You've got something you call a virtual spring career day coming up. Talk a little bit about this and what makes this unique. Certainly, and Chris, as you just said, around the real estate market, the job seeker market is so noisy with advertising that job seekers continue just to hear about all these different roles for so many companies. And so our spring career day is going to be held on February 16th from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. And what it does is it, it, it provides an opportunity for the job seeker to talk to the company directly versus just reading about the role. So they get to talk to our leaders over retail and supply chain and our corporate jobs, ask questions about their careers, learn about where those folks came from, uh, the leaders of Home Depot, where their roles came from and, and the things that they've done, but also learn about our culture and some of our upskilling programs. So it's a great opportunity to just talk directly to the leaders of an organization to learn more. 
Talk a little bit about the genesis of this, because I'm fascinated by uh, this idea. Again, it is very unique. It's not something that everybody uh, is doing out there. So talk a little bit about the genesis of this idea, how it came about, and and what the reaction was when you know you pitch this to your higher-ups and say, hey, if we really want to attract the best, uh, you know, maybe doing it this way is, uh, is something we ought to try. Yeah, look, before the COVID um, pandemic happened, Everything was in person, as you remember. Yeah. And then once it happened and everybody started working, let's say, over Zoom or over Microsoft Teams and all these types of things, we realized, hey, look, why you can really have a broad reach by doing things virtually for certain topics. And so we decided, let's do a virtual career day where it's not just a career fair where somebody applies and you have a quick conversation. Let's just kind of pull the sheets back. Let's talk about our culture. Let's talk about how this person got here, how that person got there. Let's talk about what we plan to do in the future and really answer questions directly. And so it just became an opportunity for the job seeker to be able to wear a T-shirt, have their sweatpants, sit at home, <laughs> and engage with the leadership of the organization. And, and, and as we discuss that and talk about it out loud, it makes complete sense. And we think it's going to be pretty successful because it's working in some other areas that we've done these types of discussions virtually. So as it applies to Home Depot specifically, why should someone want to work for Home Depot? What makes for a great candidate for a job within your company? What are you hoping to uh, project to potential employees? What are you hoping to get from them that you can glean to make decisions? Yeah, I mean, coming to work for Home Depot, first and foremost, is that we put our associates first. We have for over the 40 years that we've been in business, and then we expect our associates to put the customer first. So we put our associates first. We have a variety of health and personal benefits for all of our associates. Of course, it ranges from health, counts on even your cell phone, all those types of things. But more importantly, is it provides you a pathway to wherever you want to go in your career. So you could start a role in Toledo, Ohio as a cashier. And then you could decide later, you know what, I think I want to do something different. You can go into one of our upskilling programs and you can become a software developer for the Home Depot and stay in Toledo, Ohio. So that true career development piece is incredibly important to us. And that's what differentiates the Home Depot from other employers. And what we look for, Chris, we look for uh, people who want to just give good customer service. Customer service is important to us. And that's more important than the experiences that you could bring. Now, as we mentioned, we are coming up on the busy spring season for the home improvement industry. This is a big, big time of year. And for the rest of us, it can't come soon enough uh, <laughs> this, this winter. Um, so what kind of positions do you have available in our area in Northwest Ohio? And how many are you hoping slash expecting to be able to hire out of this? Yeah, we're looking for the for the Northwest Ohio, the Toledo area, around 260 hires uh, for new associates in our stores. And those positions could be a sales associate, could be cashier, could be freight, any of the roles that are in the store. But also, they're either part-time or full-time, and they have a flexible schedule. So it really just depends on what the schedule is for the job seeker, and we try to match that schedule. So again, this virtual spring career day from the Home Depot is coming up. Give us all of the uh, details on this again and, and how someone would be able to participate if they were interested. Careers.homedepot.com. You can register for the event there or you can register for the event on the day, which is February 16th from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, Eric Schelling is Vice President of Global Talent Acquisition for Home Depot. 
Again, just another example of employers thinking out of the box in order to try and attract employees in this ultra-competitive job market that we have uh, right now for uh, employers. Eric, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. <laughs> this, uh, this is probably our, would have to be, hands down, our dumb criminal of the day. Comes from Martin County, Florida, where 38-year-old Bradford Weitzel uh, stole a car after leaving a bar and uh, got it stuck on uh, the railroad tracks <laughs> near near the bar <laughs> in the path of an oncoming train. Uh, Mr. Weitzel uh, told police he was able to free himself from the vehicle um, just before the train <laughs> slammed into the car, catapulting it into the air and into a nearby home. Mr. Wetzel was uh, not hurt, uh, amazingly, escaped without injury, and no one in the home was harmed either. So good news there. After the crash, though, he wasn't done. Mr. Wetzel tried to steal a forklift from a nearby fruit stand, which he also vandalized in the process. (laughs) He was arrested after flagging down respondent deputies to let them know he was still... (laughs) He flagged down deputies... And this was the story. The The reason all of this ensued, the reason he stole the car and then wrecked the car, <laughs> got, got demolished by a train, and then stole a forklift, he did it all because he was trying to search for his own vehicle. He had lost his vehicle, and he wanted to try and find it. He flagged down the deputies to let them know he was still looking for his car. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I don't know whether the story doesn't say whether he actually ever found his car or, (laughs) but I'm guessing where he's going, he's not going to need his car for a while. (laughs) Speaking of dumb drivers, also in the broken news, uh, one driver, uh, watched as his SUV slid into the river Rouge in Michigan on Monday after he left it along the riverbank to go relieve himself. (laughs) Uh, The Allen Park Police Department said in a statement that a a gentleman decided to drive his vehicle along the riverbank. He had a moment where he exited the vehicle as Mother Nature was calling. While answering the call of nature, he observed that his vehicle was sliding into the river. (laughs) Uh, and, and he tried to, he tried to run back and jump into the vehicle to keep it from going into the river. It didn't work. And he went into the river as well. He's fine. His car is currently a a bit wet or rather submerged. According to the statement from the police, moral of the story, don't drive on the riverbank, the river Rouge. Elsewhere, the broken news. Try explaining that one to your insurance company. I mean, that's the that's the thing. Try and explain that to your uh, insurance company. Also in Michigan, uh, this from uh, Chelsea, Michigan, a man who 
pilfered a piece of artwork off the wall at a local business has agreed to return it to the owner because he felt bad for what he had done. The business owner told police he was baffled when a guy walked into his store the following day or when he uh, came in and noticed that the uh, piece was missing. Uh, The customer was spotted on security footage taking the artwork off the wall as he left the building. A check of credit card sales receipts from the previous day helped police identify the suspect as a 41-year-old man from Manchester, Michigan, whom they contacted about the theft. Uh, The man told officers he felt bad and apologized for taking the art and then returned it to its rightful owner. Now, you would think, too late, right? He's going to get charged with theft. But no, the uh, owner declined to press criminal charges since the uh, artwork was returned. So <laughs> He uh, got a, got off. Uh, well, he didn't get away with it. He had to return the artwork, but he's not going to be charged. He's not going to end up in jail, apparently. <laughs> but that's not too bright. You paid for, with a credit card. And then you're on security footage stealing something from the store. They're going to be able to track you down. That's not not too difficult. <clears throat> a uh, an 80 year old woman has been sentenced to a year in prison for stealing eight hundred thirty five thousand dollars from the elementary school that she worked at in California. Mary Margaret Krepper, who is the principal the principal of the school for twenty eight years. Uh, pilfered the school's funds to pay for her gambling habit. This went on for a decade between 2008 and 2018. Finally, somebody caught on and they uh, figured it all out. By the way, did I mention that uh, Mary Margaret Krepper is Sister Mary Margaret, the principal of St. James Catholic School? (laughs) She's a nun! Stole $835,000 over the course of the decade to feed her gambling habit. Uh, Well, she did take a vow of poverty, which is why she lost all of the money, I guess. That's, I shouldn't kid about such things. That is really sad, but... (laughs) 80-year-old nun stealing uh, almost a million dollars, three quarters of a million dollars to pay for her gambling habit. It's crazy. And how about this story? Uh, This is out of uh, Stafford, England, where the Trentum Monkey Forest, it's an animal sanctuary for monkeys in the UK. Uh, They have hired (laughs) a Marvin Gaye impersonator to sing Let's Get It On inside their uh, monkey habitat to try and encourage the females to show a little affection to the males who might not have been so lucky in love. (laughs) Females in season mate with several males, so paternity among furry residents is never known, say spokespersons for uh, for the animal sanctuary, but they have noticed that some males don't tend to be as uh, lucky as others. And uh, since each birth is vital to the survival of the species... Uh, zookeepers uh, wanted to try and figure out how they could, uh, you know, get the uh, males to be more prolific. So they hired a Marvin Gaye impersonator to serenade the monkeys. 
Remains to be seen whether the animals will be turned on by the same things humans are. But I guess we'll find out. There you go. That is the... That's a nice Valentine's Day story there. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update and the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. And now your daily download. This morning, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And a cautionary tale this morning, a a word of caution. If you are thinking of popping the question this Valentine's Day, there is a right place right place and time and a wrong place of time, and you want to make sure that you get it right. A new survey of 2,000 Americans reveals the best and worst places, the best and worst ways to pop the question. 47% said being asked to uh, for being asked for one's hand in marriage during the holidays was the most romantic scenario. Uh, nearly as many, 46% said that they would like to be asked while on vacation. 36% would love for their significant other to get on bended knee at a concert would be a good way to do it. On the other hand, 41% agreed that getting proposed via text message is maybe the worst. (laughs) That's the worst of the worst. Don't do that. A phone call was a close second at 39% said that's awful. Uh, Being proposed to at a sporting event was deemed to be the worst location, which is kind of interesting. Uh, probably not a surprise then that 31% of those who have been proposed to admit to lying about the event later to make it seem more romantic than it actually was. (laughs) 58% in the poll say they regret how they were proposed to, and 45% said that they wish that they could have a do-over. So don't be one of those. Get it right the first time. 65% say they were proposed to at a meal, so the survey asked what the best and worst foods were to find the ring. Uh, 34% said pizza, 29% said salads were the ideal place to find a ring. Burgers uh, on the list as well, but don't even think about hiding the ring in your partner's soup. Uh, That ranked as the worst place to hide a ring. So yesterday, in case you missed it, was Safer Internet Day, and we certainly did not want that to pass without talking about the importance of making the online world the safest place it can be, especially for kids and teens who spend so much of their lives these days in cyberspace, because obviously this is more than just a single-day concern. We are joined by a parenting expert, Erica Suter, and Erica, you say one of the most important things that we can do as parents is talk to our kids about Internet safety. Safety, which certainly sounds logical, and yet I can hear a lot of people saying, hey, my kid knows more about the Internet and technology than I do. What do we bring to the table here? 
Right. So we want to have open conversations with them about expectation. It's like how we expect them to behave online and how what they should expect from the world that's communicating with them. It's really about keeping them safe. And a lot of kids don't understand what that means. So I want parents to use the tools at their disposal to keep their kids safer online. So really, this conversation is more of an extension about how you behave when you are in social settings in the real world, just extended uh, to the online world. So what are some of those tools that parents can use in order to help keep their kids safe online? So if you have a young child who's starting to use uh, technology and messaging apps, you want to consider using Messenger Kids. It's a really great resource for parents, and here's why. Uh, there's a dashboard that comes with it that allows you to approve everyone that they communicate with. But more than that, you can also download all of the communications they send out and all of the communications they receive, which is really important as you start to teach your kid about communicating online. But what I really love is that they have something called the MK Pledge, and that is to be kind, be respectful, be safe, and have fun. All important skills to want to teach our kids, but they also help our kids learn them through interactive games. And for little kids, that is really a key to kind of cementing new skills and cementing what we want them to do. Teach them early, and hopefully those uh, skills and that knowledge will stick as they grow grow older. And what about uh, for parents of teenagers? How can uh, those with older kids... Uh, set those healthy boundaries because, again, they're much deeper into this than the younger set. I don't want parents to give up on this. Don't throw up your hands and say there's nothing I can do about my teen. There is. I promise you. And part of it is having conversations with them about those expectations during call moments, maybe during dinner or car rides, talking about who they're talking to online, and also making sure that those communications, they're comfortable and they're happy with those communications. Now, if your kid uses Messenger, which is a great way to communicate for older kids, um, there are there are wonderful functions that will help empower our teens to make Make smarter decisions. Like my team uses this, and I made sure that he was fully aware of the block function. Someone makes you uncomfortable, you don't want to talk to them anymore. They're not your friend. Block them. But then there's also a restriction function where you don't have to go as far as the block because you know, one day someone's your friend, and three days later they're they're not <laughs> yeah, your friend. Yeah, you the- can restrict. Yeah, you can restrict whether that person sees when you're on the app or when they can see if you've read the message, which is kind of a great, it's a great tool for kids. But there's also a report function where you can report something that isn't right or uncomfortable or a message that's inappropriate. So what you want to do is tell your kids, use these. These are at your disposal. You have a right to use them and you should use them. So that's one of the things that parents can do right away when they're talking to their kids about how they behave and behavior online in general. Now, you were uh, mentioning this a little bit earlier, and I want to circle back to this because it's a, a kind of a, a topic that makes a number of uh, parents uneasy and are and kind of unsure as to how far they go with this. There are certainly a lot of tools uh, out there that allow mom and dad to monitor what their kids are doing, whether they're young kids or older kids or whatever. How far do we go in in doing that? I mean, it seems like the cyber equivalent of eavesdropping on our kids' uh, conversations <laughs> or even reading their diary, maybe. 
Well, I think when you're talking about young kids, you know, kids who are teens, you certainly do want to be on top of their communication. Mm -hmm. You do want to know what they send. Um, I have no problem letting my children know that I'm going to be taking a look at their chat, right? Because it's not just about what they're doing. It's about what other people are are doing. It's Mm -hmm. a rule in our house, and it's really important. You know, you have – it's your job to keep your kids and and if you have something like you know messenger kids which allows you to download them that the kids don't even know you're downloading yeah the, the communication but it's, it's very important and this will help you intervene if something is wrong because we're, what we're teaching our kids now will hopefully be healthy skills that they'll follow for the rest of their life and that's what we want to do it's our job to keep them safe it's our job to make sure that they're doing the right thing and that the other people in their lives are treating them well um in the digital space as well. And also you make the excellent point that we as parents obviously have to set a good example. I mean, we talk about that and everything from, you know, the, the way we conduct ourselves in ourselves in public, even wearing seatbelts when we get into the car, wearing a helmet when we ride our bike, this is kind of the same thing. We uh, should be uh, modeling uh, healthy interactions in the online world ourselves. Absolutely the same thing. So many parents think that their kids aren't paying attention to them. They are. Trust me. So if you have a healthy relationship with technology, if you're doing the right thing, if you're being respectful and kind, they are more likely to mimic that behavior and take that into their relationships online. Again, so much good advice uh, in honor of Safer Internet Day this week. Parenting expert Erica Suter with us this morning. Where do we get uh, more information and more advice for uh, parents and for families? A great resource is messengernews.fb.com. It has everything you need to know about helping you just helping your kids develop a safer online experience. Which is what we all want, ultimately. We'll link it up on our webpage. Erica, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, from Wall Street bets on Reddit to day trading how-to videos on YouTube, why young adults in particular are so willing to take advice from so-called financial influencers online and the dangers of doing so. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.